So hey, what's up? Welcome. For those of you online, like, wow, he's miming. I'm not miming. I'm back with you. It's good to see you here. Good to be here and see all of you. Uh, I wanted to start off by saying this today. I'm tired of paying the fat tax. Do any of you know what the fat tax is? Right, it's not the IRS, it has nothing to do with them. Uh, it actually has to do with your local gym membership. Fat tax is when you pay for a gym membership that you don't get anything out of, right? Anybody else, you pay the fat tax? I have, I've paid for a long time and uh, I've set continuous perpetual goals like this is the week that I am and then I change it. Not going to do it, I'm too busy. It is gonna be next week is the week that I'm gonna change stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm not like a type A personality uh, as many of you who have heard me or listened to me or have spent more than three seconds with me know. Uh, so I decided this last week, I was like, I'm done. I'm done paying the fat tax. I'm done donating to the gym without a tax write-off. So I decided, I'm like, I'm doing it. Today's the day, it's over. So I, I drove home and on my way home, the gym is on the way. And so I pulled into the parking lot and I didn't plan, I didn't prepare and I certainly didn't look like I belong. So I walked into that gym with a long sleeve shirt and cargo shorts and uh, I went straight for the stair stepper. I've never done the stair stepper before. I don't know about the rest of you. I walked up and I'm like, let's get it, right? Like I was like Muhammad Ali, ready to throw down. And so here I am, right? It's right next to the track, which is perfect, um, except for me, right? When you wanna be invisible in a place and then everybody's looking at you, they're like, wow, he, he's so spiritual. Like he's doing the stair stepper. I'm not, I'm trying to breathe. I sweat through all of my clothes in 12 minutes. That's all I did. I took a picture of it and I was like, accomplished, fat tax. So it was the most expensive stair stepper ride that I I have paid for. Uh, but anyway, I broke the fat tax. Here's why I say this, right? For those of you that are like, yep, whatever, don't get it, not tracking, whatever. Uh, in the church, I've paid the fat tax on prayer for most of my entire life. What do I mean by that? Uh, in church, uh, I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. I'll talk about that a couple of different times. Uh, but most of my life growing up, I came to church. I sang the songs or I served on the teams. I was in the tech room or I was on stage or I was in the background or, or I just showed up. Like I, I did the church things, went on trips, youth group, all that. I did the church things and yet I never engaged in prayer. And that's like a fat tax. It's like, it's like you're trying to do the things and, and, and act religious without actually experiencing one of the most intimate pieces of a relationship with God where you actually talk to God and hear from God where a relationship is built out of. For years, for decades, I paid the fat tax and just growing up in the church, what I've noticed is so many people that attend church for long or extended periods of time, uh, a lot of people, a lot of us, I'll put myself in that group, settled for something less than what God actually has for us. We're just good paying the fat tax. We're good just doing the thing and doing the motions. And then we wonder why I don't feel like I'm connected to God. We wonder why I feel like, I, like prayers of mine don't get answered. We wonder why like I dread going to church or I dread waking up in the morning or I don't have a hunger to be here. It's why many of us even lack purpose or direction or fulfilling or calling in our lives because we are lacking the very thing that God is inviting us to from the very beginning, not just of the church, but also in a relationship with him. So uh, let me use this as an example. Uh, right now it's spring, right? So for those of you trainers, physical people, you want to run a 5K or a 10K or a 25K or a marathon, uh, right now it's like race season. So I was curious, right? If that's you, good for you, okay? Longest I ever ran was four miles, felt like my feet were going to fall off. So that's not my jam, but if that's your jam, great. Here's what I was curious. A marathon, let's choose like one of the biggest races, right? This is something that like maybe accessible to the common people without doing like the giant, 
giant, crazy, like life-threatening types of races. A marathon would be a lot of what maybe, maybe us at one point or another, maybe a lapse of judgment would say, I think I could do that. So 26.2 miles is how long a marathon is. 26.2. Do you have any idea how much the average person runs in preparation for a 26.2 mile race? I looked it up. I was curious. Average person, of which I would not qualify. I think I'd be underneath that. So an average person will run anywhere between 600 and 750 miles in preparation for a 26.2-mile race. They'll start 20 weeks in advance. They will run 600 to 750 miles in preparation for one day, one race, a couple hours for 26.2 miles. Which one would you rather run? I'd rather watch, okay? That would be me. I'd rather watch and cheer and good job while I'm eating my McDonald's cheeseburger, cheering them on as they're running by. Average person, 600 to 750 miles in preparation for one race. If you're a professional runner, if you're a professional trainer, if you do marathons like for fun, right? If, if that's you, you train on average 1,500 to 2,100 miles for a 26.2 mile race. So the actual race taking these numbers is like less than 3% of the total amount of time and miles ran in preparation for such a day. So why do I I bring that up? Uh, Prayer is kind of like that. Prayer is this thing that many of us, we look at it and we expect like, man, when we pray, God should do something. Or when we pray, things move or things change or people get healed or things happen or whatever. A lot of us look at like the big event or the big outcome of prayer. We say, that's what prayer is. When you pray, God moves and everybody knows and it's the big deal. But here's what I'm going to tell you today is I, I think prayer is much more like training for the marathon than the actual marathon itself. I think the numbers might actually be way more congruent, that it's more about the time in private and in secret and in relationship with just you and God than it is on a stage like this. So the invitation for all of us today and kind of where we're going is this, not not to seek after or run after the marathon type experiences of prayer, but to run after the training types of prayer because it's in the training, it's in the running, it's in the secret place that God doesn't just change the world, he will change you and he will change your heart. So if change is something that you avoid, if change is not something you want, if you like your life the way it is, if you like your heart the way it is, if you just want to do you and see how far that gets you, prayer is probably very low on your priority list. But if you desire to experience something different, different in your relationship with God, as you read your Bible and you flip through the pages and you see some of the things that God did in people, how he saved people, how he worked through people, how he gave people different gifts and abilities and and talents and, and for the purpose of the church and reaching people for Christ, if you actually want your life to make a tangible, crazy, life altering, world changing way, it doesn't start on a stage. It actually starts in secret, in quiet time, in prayer. So in the book of Acts, which is where we're at today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible, turn to it. We'll put words on the screen. Uh, Here's what they say in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Luke is the author. He's writing this. Uh, It says, they all joined together constantly in, say it with me. Okay, we got to wake up. So they all joined together constantly in? There we go. We're getting there. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Uh, this is Acts 1.14. Here's what I never knew when I read the book of Acts uh, 1 and 2 before. What I always notice is the big, giant, mountaintop, marathon-like days or moments or responses in the book of Acts because Acts is littered with them. 
they're everywhere. They're all over. Like Holy Spirit showed up and Pentecost and God moved and thousands gave their lives to Christ. This is actually what happens after Acts 1.14. I, I've read this a lot of my life. Like I've read Acts chapter one before. I never, I never saw this statement. Or if I did, it never did anything. It never changed anything. It never motivated me. It never jumped out off the page like it did in preparation for a message on prayer because what jumped out at me was what happened next after this. So Jesus, uh, preceding this, Jesus was with his disciples. He hung on a cross. He died. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead to the point that not just his disciples, not just the 11 remaining disciples were with him. It was like 120 people that were with Jesus for another 40 days after he resurrected resurrected as if to remove all air or all idea of like, is this a conspiracy? Nobody really saw him. 120 people spent 40 days with Jesus. So here Jesus is, he's on the mountaintop. He's with this group of people. He commissions them, but then, then he literally ascends. He rises up in front of all of them, disappears up into the clouds. Angels show up and they go, what are you guys looking at? What do you mean? What are we looking at? Like what? Have you ever seen that before? I mean, this mind blown, like Jesus just ascended into heaven. And so all the type A disciples in the room, right? All the, are you a type A person? Let me just ask you, if you're in the room, be honest, okay? Otherwise, we're just gonna ask your neighbor and they'll, they'll confess for you, right? So the type A person or people in the room, if that happened to you, if you're in the group, 120 disciples, Jesus is there, Jesus ascends into heaven, you know he's commissioned you, you know he's talked about this church, talked about this movement, talked about what is going to happen when Jesus leaves. He says it over and over and over. I'm gonna leave, wait for the gift. I'm gonna give you this gift, Holy Spirit. He's gonna show up and I'm gonna build my church. When Jesus leaves, how many of you type A? You're like, go time, I'm in, right? The whistle was blown. It was a timeout. I got put in the game. It's time to run. It's time to go. It's time to do. It's time to make things happen. There's sermons to write. There's sermons to preach. There's people to talk to. There's food to be distributed. There's people who are poor or impoverished or orphaned that, that the church exists to take care of. All the type A disciples you would think would jump in and start doing. And here's what they do is Acts chapter one, verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer. They all joined together in prayer. Here's what happened out of their prayer. Uh, in a couple verses later, Peter gets up in front. He addresses a giant crowd in the square, right, in the town. And he preaches a message, and it's all about Jesus. And he says, this is who he is, and this is who we, we crucified him. You crucified him. He was the son of God. He, he did what he said he was going to do, and he was who he said he was. You crucified him. He died, he resurrected, and he's alive today. And if you want to put your relationship or put your hope and trust in him, you can do so. And it says 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Peter preached a message that I've always noticed. 3,000 people in one day. Can you imagine the movement? Can you imagine the crowd? Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine all of that? That's what I see. Here's what I didn't see, the prayer sandwich that was around it. Acts 1, 14, which we just read, and then the other one is this, Acts 2, 42. After that happens, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Our temptation is always gonna to be to look at the marathon moments when it comes to our relationship with God, when we ask him for something, when he moves, when he does, but we, we need not to miss the prayer that preceded it, that bookended it, that surrounded it. It's not even fair to call it a bookend because what God did throughout the rest of the book of Acts is mind-boggling. 
And the same God, the same Holy Spirit that was alive in the book of Acts is alive and working today. And he is inviting us to experience him in the exact same type of way. The explosive response in reaction to the gospel was sandwiched between God's people praying together. So let's keep reading. Acts 2, 42. This is, we'll start with 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let's go to the next slide here. For every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was a move of God empowered by the Holy Spirit, fueled by God's people praying. And it's all, it's not even just throughout the book of Acts, it's all throughout scripture. The world changes. People's hearts change. Neighborhoods change. Classrooms change. Marriages change. Children change through prayer. Because prayer is it's one of the central avenues that God uses to transform our own hearts. So why is that significant? Because everything God did from that point on was through and out of this move of God's people praying. So growing up, I told you, my dad was a pastor. Uh, I grew up in the local church, and most of my prayers, uh, what I would say is like very superficial, very light, you know, L-I-T-E, very light type of prayers, right? Not super deep, not super transformative, not, not from a place that like longs deep within, within me. And, and honestly, for a lot of my life, I would say like, I'm just not called to prayer. You know, you, you've seen like the prayer warriors, right? Or, you know, the prayer warriors, you're like, oh, they're definitely a prayer warrior. They're, they're given to prayer. That's not me. Therefore, you know, that's not my, that's not my thing. I went to college and my life started to change because I ended up with three other Christian roommates. I went to a public school. I went to Grand Valley. Uh, totally blind. None of us knew each other. All three of them had a real relationship with God, and I was the only pastor's kid that didn't. And so I'm in here, and I'm seeing, and I'm hearing their prayers, and then I start reading my Bible, and we start going to group, and the prayers that are prayed in Scripture, they'll change your life if you read them. You hear the prayers of David, King David, who comes before the Lord in humility, and he says, I wronged you, God. I wronged my people. I had an affair. I committed adultery. You hear, you hear that prayer and that changes you. You hear the prayer of widows who just lost their son and they're praying and they're longing for God to do something about it. You, you hear prayers of those that are starving and hungry that God would provide for them because the community around them didn't even have anything to provide them. You hear the prayers of God's people on behalf of nations on behalf of saving them, not just as people, not just their street or their neighborhood. God, would you save us as a nation? We're being oppressed. You, you hear these prayers and then you compare them to my prayers. They're night and day. So growing up, like when we would have meals, uh, we would always pray before meals. And we had a couple of those like common ones. So one of the prayers we always prayed was, uh, it was come Lord Jesus, be our guest, which sounds like a, like a Beauty and the Beast song that we're just gearing up for. So come Lord Jesus, be our guest and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. That's like what we would pray. That it, it's good to pray that it was like light though for me. Like it didn't, there was, it wasn't coming from a place within me. That was kind of me doing the thing. There's another one I found online. I looked this one up. I bet you'll like this one. This one goes like this. Good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. 
That's awesome, okay? The rest of you are like, man, that's awesome. If you're a meat lover, maybe there's a lot of vegans or vegetarians in Byron Center that can't appreciate that, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll appreciate that one for all of us. Uh, what about this? Like when you go on a trip, you ever pray for traveling mercies or have you ever heard somebody else pray for traveling mercies? Does anybody know what that means? Don't look at me. I don't know what it means either. What are traveling mercies? What does that mean? Like, God, would you give us mercy while traveling? You know, is there a different type of mercy for traveling versus not traveling? Uh, or this one, this is kind of my favorite. I pray for like a hedge of protection. I, I pray this one. I'm guilty. I'm a, you know what I picture when I pray for God, give me a hedge of protection? I picture a giant fern that just surrounds me or that surrounds my car or my truck or the bus. It's like this giant fern that prevents anybody else from even seeing me, right? It's like I'm, a, I'm invisible. It's this cushion. It's this protection. Like I prayed these things. They didn't do much for me. They didn't change me. They didn't come from a place that was longing for something deep, it was just kind of like, I'm just praying the thing that I thought I was supposed to pray. It wasn't until my roommates would go to bed and I had this hunger, I had this desire. I didn't know what I was doing. There's so many ways where even now, I still don't know what I'm doing when it comes to prayer, I'm learning. But uh, I would close my door, I would lock it, I'd put headphones in because I had my own room. I'd put headphones in, turn on instrumental music and I would get on my knees and I would pray for real. I was hungry. I just said, God, if you're real, would you speak? Would you show me you're real? God, I want to trust you with my life, but I'm scared to. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's involved. I, I'm still trying to figure out, is everything I've learned growing up real or not real? I tell you what, it was those moments that were in secret that nobody saw, that nobody else knew about, that nobody was there for, that the intimacy with me and God began to develop. And the exact same thing is true for all of us. If you want the intimacy with your creator, he has already opened a space for you to enter into, but you have to want it. You have to want it. If you're hungry, he'll fill that need, that void inside of you, but you have to, have to, want it. It was in the secret place of prayer that my heart actually began to change. Jesus, in Mark 135, we'll put that on the screen, Jesus prayed. Just, does that hit anybody else kind of weird? The Son of God prayed. And then you get the Trinity, and it's like, well, three, but in one, is he, what? Like, what? Is he praying to himself or he says he's praying with his father and there's this close relationship, but the three are one and they're united together. The son of God prayed, and here's what was cool. Mark 1, 35, I'll just set this up first. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, morning people said amen, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place, to a place by himself where he prayed. The disciples, this was in Luke 11, verse 1. I don't have the screens up there. The disciples knew how to pray. You know this? The disciples, many of them were Jews. They grew up good Christian or good Jewish boys. They learned the prayers. They learned the scripture. They had, they had the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had it memorized. Some of us are like John 3.16. I'm still working. I'm still working. For God so loved the world. that They had five long books memorized. They knew how to pray. They were praying from a super early age. They were praying. And when they prayed, and then they compared that to the prayer they heard Jesus pray, they, it was different. 
And they said in Luke 11, verse 1, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Because the prayer that they saw in him was different than the prayer that they were taught. And there was power and there was intimacy and there was love and there was life change that came from Jesus praying. And they desired it because that was not their experience. That's why I start with the fat tax, right? Many of us have grown up in church or we've attended church or we're longing and we're saying, man, I really hope there's something more than what I'm experiencing. And I'm here to tell you, it's not a, a secret. It's not a surprise. It, it's not anything weird or foofy. It, the invitation that God has for all of us is just spend time with me in prayer. If you want it, he'll meet you. If you're hungry for it, he'll meet you there. I'll speak to you. I'll change your life. I'll change your heart. Prayer is the central avenue where God transforms us. There's an invitation that continues to be there. Charles Spurgeon has this quote. He says this, Woe unto that man whose devotion is observed by everybody and who never offers a secret supplication. That's a secret prayer. So woe to the man who celebrates or revels in the marathon moments and then never offers a prayer in secret. Woe to that man. Secret prayer is the secret of prayer. I love that line. Secret prayer is the secret of prayer. It's the soul of prayer, the seal of prayer, the strength of prayer. If you do not pray alone, you do not pray at all. It says this here next. I care not whether you pray in the street or in the church or in the barrack room or in the cathedral, but your heart must speak with God in secret or you have not prayed. Secret prayer is the secret of prayer. I never knew that. I think for years I, I carried things that were heavy to me or important to me or painful to me, things that I desired to see God move or change, but I rarely prayed about them or for them in secret. Usually it'd be in a small group setting or in youth group or in some other corporate environment, and it was like, oh, this, this must be where I share that and process that and open that up, but the secret of prayer is secret prayer. It's totally different when you come to the Lord. It's just one-on-one -on -one and you sit down and you say, here's what's heavy on my heart. Here's what hurts me right now. Here's what pains me right now. Here's what scares me right now. Here's what's heavy. Here's what I'm carrying. If you feel like every, like, you know, the shoulders thing when it's just like, you know, when somebody starts, especially like when my wife, when she starts doing this thing, like she starts poking on the shoulders, I'm like, holy smokes, you could do that for three more hours, right? <laughs> Don't ever stop. All of a sudden, it's almost like this imagery for me, like I'm carrying something that I just didn't realize you feel that when your shoulders start to get heavy or your back starts to hurt or your mind starts to get tired, your body, your emotions start getting more and more wide or more and more deep and more and more explosive and more and more. When you notice that, it's like the Holy Spirit's going, you're carrying something you not, you're not supposed to. So what, what, do you, what do you do with the things that you carry like that? You're supposed to bring them to him in prayer, to offer them back to trust them, to literally hand them off to your heavenly creator, to your heavenly father, 
who desires to take those from you in prayer. So what's heavy on your heart? What are you longing for? What do you desire? What's a burden? What, what hole do you have? What anxiety do you carry? What depressive thought keeps coming back? Maybe it's for you personally. Maybe it's a diagnosis that you've received that you're wrestling through and it just changed the way that you thought life was gonna go. Maybe it's for a spouse. Maybe it's for a, a kid or a child or a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a, a relationship that you long for. Maybe, maybe it's something that, that you feel like, man, I, I felt like God called me into this thing and then it didn't go any, any way that I anticipated. Maybe it's a disappointment or a frustration or anger. Maybe it's a lack of forgiveness from somebody or for somebody. Maybe something happened to you that should not have happened and you've held on to it and you've carried it. The invitation that God gives all of us is this. Would you just come to me? And would you offer it back in prayer? So often, I think what we do with prayer is we treat prayer like it is the means to an outcome that we are after. God, I bring you this thing that's heavy. I bring you this thing that I don't like. I bring you this thing that I desire to change. And it's your job then, God, to fix it. And when we go into prayer desiring an outcome, I think we miss the purpose of prayer. Prayer can change everything for you in your life if you make prayer the outcome, not a result of it, not an effect of it. When you make prayer the outcome, the win for you is I get real before God and I offer up what's heavy, what's burdensome, what matters to me in prayer, even when I'm angry. Man, there's plenty of times I come to God and I go, I'm just angry. I'm just hurting, frustrated. When I come to those and I can offer those, when the outcome is prayer, God changes things. May not be right away, may not be in the moment, may, but, but prayer is that central avenue that God uses to transform us, and he gives us the opportunity to come to him in that. How different would your family be if your family was built on prayer? How different would your workplace be? How different would your friendships be? How different would your calling be? How different would this church be if every single one of you committed your lives to praying for this church? To praying for your leader, John and Lindsay, and praying for their family, for Lennon. How different would it be if you prayed for the people outside of these walls and in this community that they might have a real and authentic, amazing, incredible relationship and interaction with God? How different could this community be if all we do, if all we change is gather together just for prayer? Move mountains. It, it wouldn't even just move mountains. Let me say this. It would move mountains and foundations. It, it could change everything. How different could it be if we gave ourselves or committed ourselves to prayer? The true work of prayer is behind the scenes. It's in private. It's in secret where no one sees or appreciates the work. I had a quote once. Uh, I printed this off early on in my ministry journey, mostly because it bugged me, right? Stuff that bugs me, I'm just like, I need to come back to that. That affected me. And I just 
Hmm, why? Here's the quote. I hung it up in my office. Uh, and if it bugs you, the challenge is I want you to do the same. Hang it up in, in your home, hang it up at your office, whatever. The, the question went like this, or the statement, the quote. It said, if a non-believer had your job, would they do it any differently? So if a non-believer had your job at work, would they lead people any differently? Would they work any differently? Would they serve any differently? Would they talk any differently? If a non-believer had your job as uh, a leader in your family, would they do your job any differently? Would they raise your kids any differently? Would they, would they prepare food any differently? Would they spend money any differently? Would they create relationships on your street any different? If a non-believer had anything you have, would they do it any different? For me, that drove me to prayer. So I want you to hear this. Uh, nobody that stands on this stage is any different than any of you. Zero. Uh, a year ago, I, I got myself a mentor, uh, a guy that just, uh, he was a man of prayer. It's pretty much all I knew about him. And he was way farther down the road than I was. And so I just said, can you just teach me how to pray? Uh, I'll say this, as a pastor, you know how humbling that is? Like, I've been a pastor for like four and a half years now, and I have no idea how to pray. And here's what I love about the relationship I have with this guy. Uh, he's not a pastor. He, he's not in full-time ministry. He's never received a paycheck from a local church. He, he's in the marketplace. And he has shaped me and my life through prayer. And so we, we meet, we regularly talk. I have questions. We, he, we prayed together. I mean, it, it's been life-changing, but my, my mom reached out. I was talking about him, and, and I said, one of the things that he loves to do, I shared this with my mom, is he loves to pray for couples that desire to have children that cannot. And uh, that I become very aware of that when uh, Shannon and I tried having a second child, and all of a sudden we hit a wall. We had a really significant struggle where that was not playing out the way we thought it would. And so as I'm talking with my mentor, uh, he shared with me that's one of the burdens that he and his wife pray for together. So most of these people that he prays for, most of these couples that desire to be pregnant, you know, they've been married and, and they can't conceive or they can't have children, he and his wife pray for them. And most people, most of them never know. They, ne they never know that they have somebody that's praying for them and interceding on their behalf every single day by name. So my mom reached out, she's a counselor, she's working with this couple, and I'm sharing some things about my mentor, and she said, I have a couple that I'm working with right now, they're just devastated, they've lost pregnancy after pregnancy after pregnancy after pregnancy after, pre like, oh, just an endless rap sheet of years of pain and disappointment. And she goes, would you pass their names along to him? And I was like, sure. Like, I can do that. Text me the name. So I, I send them the names. And I wish I could tell you, like, I committed my life to praying for this couple that I've never met. I didn't. I probably prayed for them once. I probably prayed for them once. I texted my mentor. And I said, here's, here's another couple to add to your list. And so here's what I didn't know. For the last six months, my mom has been praying for them fervently, as well as that mentor, the marketplace prayer mentor. Am I praying fervently? What my mom sent me, uh, on Sunday last week. So that I preached a version of this message last week. Think about this. This is a story I think maybe, maybe God provided just for you. On Sunday, I'm leaving. I'm driving home. I get a text from my mom and she says, you're not going to believe it. Do you remember that, that couple that I asked you to pray for? No, sorry. I suck as a pastor. I'm sorry. I'm like scrolling through going, what were their names? And I found them. And I go, okay, yes, I do remember 
And she goes, you're not going to believe it. They're 10 weeks pregnant. And they had less than a 1% chance of getting pregnant. And it was not through any artificial or medical way. It's just an answer to prayer. How cool. What is God inviting you to step into and pray for on behalf of someone else? Prayer changes things. The mountaintops and the foundations. I believe God wants to do something in our church, in this church, in this community, in your school, in your workplace, in West Michigan, in our nation, in our world. We sang about revival today. I drove in today. I saw that tent. I'm like, oh boy, are we doing a tent revival today? What did you not tell me, John? Started getting excited. Saw the tattoo place over here, tattoo revival. Something I'm like, what are you doing, Lord? Man, if we want revival, revival starts with prayer. And not even corporately, it starts individually. Individually, the prayer closet will transform the gathering. The gathering of the church will transform the community in which it's in. The gathering of a community built on prayer could change nations and the world. But it starts just you and God. So we're going to give you an opportunity to pray. I want to share one thing with you. Uh, This is my prayer journal. I never had a prayer journal. Uh, I tried journaling before, like writing down feelings and emotions, and it didn't work. (laughs) I was like, I don't know why. Who's going to read this? I don't even want to read this. Why am I writing this? (laughs) But as I started praying, I started learning, like, I I need to capture some of the things that are deep in my heart. So what I do is I just do what's on the screen behind you. I date it. I write down a date. The date may not be significant to you, but it will be significant to you someday. So I write down the date. I write down ask. What am I asking God for? He invites us to come and ask him for stuff as a father. So I write it down. What's important to me? You know how hard it is to actually sit down and you picture like, okay, Jesus is sitting right here and I'm, I'm coming to him in prayer. What do I want to ask him to his face? All my foofy, fluffy stuff disappears. I get super real. Here's what I'm asking him for. And I pray and I, I, however long it takes, I'm a mover. I don't know if I have ADD or not. I like to move. Leave me alone. I walk around, I move, I sing, I clap, play music, I pray, and then I carve out space and I sit and I go, what would you say to me? Samuel says, even when he was a boy in the Old Testament, he he said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. When you come with that posture and you say, Lord, I'm open, would you just speak to me? Then I write it down. It's not meant for a stage. It's not meant for a a proclamation. It's It's just meant for secret for you and God, for him to do something and change you from the inside out. Soren Kierkegaard writes this. He said, a man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking, but he came more and more quiet until in the end he realized prayer is listening. So let's just move into a time of prayer right now. Maybe for you, this is a normal place and you're comfortable here and you're like, finally, let's get to it. David, shut up. But maybe you haven't been in that place before or ever. Let's just enter into his presence together and give him space to move. So God, we just come before you. We just love you. We just thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. God, I thank you that when you look at us, 
you see us as individuals. You say you know even how many hairs we have on our head. You knew us even before we were conceived in our mother's womb. You know us so deeply and so intimately, and you've provided a way for us to know you just as intimately. And God, I know I ran from you for decades, afraid of you, angry at you, frustrated or annoyed or bored or whatever it was, God, until I actually sat with you and I realized how wrong I was. I just pray that you would do something in this church and this group of people right here. I pray that our requests that we would bring to you right now would be the things that actually matter. I pray that we wouldn't try to put on a show for you or act like we're something we're not. I pray that we would just be real. We would offer up what's heavy on our hearts, that we'd give that to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would also carve out space and time to listen, that you might speak and that we might hear it. We pray this in Jesus' name. You give life.